cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Ernie Mobile Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the singular Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Aquaman. Yeah, Aquaman Shrine. Have you heard of it? No, they, I'm just they... saying Aquaman because it's the only time he's going to get mentioned in this episode. So I'm just getting it out of the way now. Aquaman. It's kind of nice. Uh, I kind of stretch, feel yeah. that. Oh, it feels good. It's yeah. good not talking about that guy. So Very much. Firestorm-centric episode coming up, so occasionally I'll be in the background just sort of having memories of World War II or something while Shag talks, so everyone enjoy. Rob's actually going to do the entire episode in his FDR impersonation <laughs> just for that very reason, to give him something to care about. I would be willing to do that for charity if people wanted to donate money to some sort of cause, that you know, maybe our show or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what the cause is just yet, but... Given that I'd have to be on the other end of that microphone, it would have to be a lot of money, folks. Hey, you're you're out next week. Let's who knows what's gonna happen. <laughs> That's right, folks. Uh, if you don't know, I've been traveling quite a bit lately. We call huh. it the. Really? You hadn't heard the Fire and Water Podcast World Tour. In fact, uh, for that today, this very episode. We're going to play, after we talk about Firestorm and the Flash season premiere, that's right, we're going to talk about the Flash, because it's back, whoop, whoop. Uh, after that discussion, it's going to be a conversation between myself and our good friend Doug Zawiza. So, but we'll save a little bit of that uh, introduction for later. First things first, we need to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Rob, what'd you pick this time? Uh, I thought I would do uh, Showcase Presents The Flash, because I am always on point with these in-stock trades ads. Wait, wait, uh, this wait, is wait, 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 wait. You actually picked something that is related to what it we're talking about It always is. Today. Like, did the Who's Who, did the, did the Blackhawk, I always do something. It's In the last Power Records, I did a Spider-Man. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm always thematically related. If you'd like to look back to the history of the four years or so of this podcast and the number of times you said, apropos of nothing, 
I, I promise you, it's a long, long All right, all right. Long. Showcase presents the Flash <laughs> Volume 4. Uh, the writers are John Broom, Gardner Foxy, Nelson Burrell, Kerry Bates, Frank Robbins, and the artists are Carmen Infantino, Ross Andrew, and others. This features the classic, classic cover uh, of Flash with the giant balloon head. This reprints Flash's 162 through 184, 528 pages, normal price, 1999 Is our trade price $11.59. That's 42% off. That is a whole ton of classic Flash stories from the 60s. Can't beat it. Super fun stuff. Fantastic. Also continuing the theme of this episode, I have picked Alex Toth Zorro compilation of Dell Comics Adventures hardcover. Or as my friend Rob would say, apropos of nothing. nothing. (laughs) Actually, you know what it's apropos of? The fact that I'm reading some of these and they're amazing. Now, I I don't have this particular collection. Uh, Mine's an old out-of-print one. Mine is from Eclipse Comics. But if you guys don't know, Alex Toth, who's a Famous, famous illustrator, uh, Rob. I mean, in, in as far as DC Comics, help me out. Was it Challengers of the Unknown that he's really well known for? No, he didn't really do that. He did, he, he isn't really known for any one particular character. The thing he's probably most famous for is he did all the character designs for the Super Friends cartoon show. There we go. There we go. Thank you. Um, well, he drew the Zorro comics, the ones based on the old Disney TV series. And folks, I'm again, I'm reading the I'm reading the black and white collection from Eclipse right now, and it's gorgeous. This one I'm going to talk about is actually in color. So again, Alex Toth, Zorro, uh, it's, it's C-O-M-P, so it's either compilation or compendium, whatever. Dell Comics Adventures hardcover. So this collects, apparently, um, I think his entire run on the book, it's 240 pages, uh, full color. Again, it's all Alex Toth. It's published by Hermes Press. And it normally retails for forty nine ninety nine. You get it for twenty five percent off right now, and that's thirty seven forty nine. If you guys like Zorro, uh, if you ever watch the old Zorro show, when I say Disney Zorro show, I'm not talking about the one from the nineties. I'm talking about the one from the fifties. I loved the heck out of that old Zorro show. I used to come. I used to run home from school just to watch the reruns of that Zorro show. And I never actually read these comics growing up, and I didn't realize how amazing Alex Toth is as an illustrator. He's just got a real command of figures and line work and pages, and it's just gorgeous. So I highly recommend you go out and pick this up. You will not be sorry. So again, folks, uh, please go visit InStockTrades.com. Your did you best- give the price for that book? Yeah, I did. It says forty nine ninety nine. 25% off right now. It's thirty-seven forty-nine for oh, you. I feel like I missed you saying thirty-seven ninety-nine. But all right, never mind. You can go back, rewind, listen to that. There's a little button on your iPod that lets you do that. Anyway, uh, InStockTrades.com. We appreciate their sponsorship of the Fire and Water Podcast. So, Rob, this Aqu- week. Aquaman. There you go. Nice. This week, well, by the time you guys hear this, it'll have been five or six days. We, we just saw it the other night. The Flash Season 2 premiere. Uh, I believe the episode was called The Man Who Saved Central City, and they're not talking about Barry Allen. Who are they talking about, Rob? Firestorm. That's right. So, um, well, why don't we kick this off? All right, so first off, obviously, folks, this thing's going to have huge, huge spoilers, okay? I'm going to assume you've seen it. If not, a quick recap that in, involves Firestorm is going to be that we've, we flashed back. Get it? Flashback? We flashed back to the end of Season 2. Um, and we see the singularity that's opened over Central City. The professor says there's only one way to destroy it. Firestorm has to fuse, go up there, and we need to separate forcibly, and it'll collapse the singularity, knowing that it's going to possibly kill Ronnie and the professor. They fly up there. They do the heroic thing. They, they split. They, they fission, and, they, they come. and one of the figures comes tumbling down. 
Barry runs down the, uh, a building and catches uh, Professor Stein, and Ronnie is nowhere to be seen. And Ronnie has apparently given his life to save Central City. So that's the big that's the big thing about Firestorm. There's a whole lot of other stuff in the episode. We're not really going to spend a lot of time on that because this is a Firestorm-centric podcast. There's no guy who talks to fish in this show. And uh, Okay, Rob, so what did you think about Ronnie's death scene? Uh, well, I mean, I think I, I knew it was coming. I mean, we know we know, we know that Rob Bielmel is not coming back. Uh, I mean, you know, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I mean, I knew it was again. I knew it was coming, and uh, I didn't. I didn't expect that they were that that was how they're going to break the story. That it would sort of be happen kind of off screen a little. So, I thought that was kind of gutsy to do. Okay, I liked how in the episode where they kept showing uh, Barry, and we knew something was wrong, Barry. We didn't know what, and then it wasn't until they did the flashback till we find out what it was that's got him so upset is that his friend died. So I thought that was kind of nice. I, I, I thought it was nice that Ronnie's death has impacted Barry that much six months later. I mean, it tore the Flash team apart, Ronnie's death. So I mean, there's a lot of impact there. The death itself. Um, well, let me first start off by saying, folks, I enjoyed the episode quite a bit. I watched it with my family. My family and I, we sit down. Whenever there's a new episode on, we watch it together as a family, live as it's going out. We don't do that with any other TV show. So, prefacing all that by saying how much I enjoyed it. Now I'm going to say some things I didn't love. Uh, the CGI on Ronnie in those scenes wasn't the best. They, they've, they've built a computer model of Robbie ML, and that's what they were using, and it just... It looked a little bit like CGI to me. I don't, did you get that feeling when you looked at it? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of give the show a, a little bit of a pass in that, you know, I'm amazed that they can do what they can do on a TV budget. But, you know, it's not as good as some stuff you'd see in movies, although it's better than some stuff I've seen in movies. So, I don't know. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't bother me tremendously. I mean, I thought some of the stuff, there's one bit where he's like running down the building, when he runs down the building and catches Stein, mm-hmm. like, it was like amazing. I mean, I, th- I think we've all grown so used to CGI that some stuff, you just can't believe you're seeing this on television. Like, that's an amazing effect. Yeah. And it's like that in the opening battle uh, with Captain Cold and Heat Wave. I mean, he did the same thing, ran up a building, ran down it. There's, you know, fire going everywhere. There's ice going everywhere. There's more fire. I mean, that looked great, completely seamless. I, I believed every second of that. But for some reason, the, the CGI on the Ronnie, it just, I, I'm too critical on the Ronnie stuff anyway, just because I'm so focused on Firestorm. So that's, it's probably more on me than really is on the show. But you mentioned we knew Ronnie wasn't coming back. A lot of people didn't know when the death was going to happen or when Robbie and Mel would exit the show. But we kind of knew it was going to be this episode because at San Diego Comic-Con, um, Victor Garber had mentioned that Ronnie's fate would, be un- would unfold on the season premiere. So we knew it was going to be there. It, it happened pretty suddenly. I kind of thought we'd see more of Ronnie throughout the episode, but, you know, there we go. Yeah, they get rid of him quick. Yeah, <laughs> and it wastes no time. So it's not the only character that gets shuffled off fairly quickly in this episode. Okay, well let's. Uh, who else are you talking about? It's John Wesley Ship is the dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's let, you know what. Let's. I said we focused on first. Let's do that. Let's talk about that for a second. So go ahead, finish your thought there. Well, I mean, I'm not the only person that's. I, I'm not the uh, show expert, certainly, uh, but like. You know, the the whole the whole first season was about getting him out of jail, and they get him out of jail, and they come back, and he does a party, and he's like, "I gotta get out of here. I'll see you later." I'm like, wait a minute, what? It was like it reminded me of Interstellar in terms of how fast they uh, the whole point of this mission seems to just get shuffled off screen. And you know, I kind of knew that John Wesley Ship wasn't going to become a regular, but I it did seem a little like 
Jeez, you've been in jail all this time. You, what's the hurt? All right, bye. <laughs> I, I, it's got everyone sort of befuddled. You know, my kids even turn to me and they're like, they're, during that scene, they're like, I don't understand. Why is he leaving? And I don't know that I really understood either. I mean, the best thing I could explain to the kids was I said, well, I think what he's saying is that he's afraid Barry will be too busy protecting him to be out there to protecting the city. So, like, if Central City was in danger, Henry's worried that Barry would spend too much time trying to save Henry than save the city. I, I don't know. He just kept saying, you can't be the Flash if I'm here. Um, what? <laughs> now, it did sort of reset things back to normal, though. Like, in season one, the quote-unquote norm was Ronnie was dead, Caitlin was missing him, and Henry was out of the picture. And by the end of the episode, Ronnie was dead, Caitlin was missing him, and Henry's out of the picture again. It's all, all the pieces have been moved slightly on the chessboard. It's still kind of the same setup. Yep. That, especially coming off that speech that Stein gives about moving forward, I was kind of like, wait a minute. <laughs> so apparently Henry will be in the show as much as he was last season, but for whatever reason they felt it was necessary to give that speech. I'm glad that he's coming back because, I mean, I feel very warm towards John Wesley Shipp in, in this part, obviously. He loves the show. I mean, he is super passionate about the show. First of all, you know, obviously he played it. Everyone knows he was The Flash 25 years ago. And he has made a living of going around to conventions and talking about The Flash for 25 years. I mean, that's what he's done. I mean, he's had other acting gigs, but he, every convention you could think of, he was at talking about it. And I just saw him at Dragon Con, you know, what, a month ago, two months ago? And he was very passionate about the show. I mean, he knew every detail of the show. He was praising it, couldn't stop praising it. So clearly it's not like he's looking to leave the project. So no. utterly bizarre. I'm sure he's very happy to be co-starring on a major network series. Sure. Now, speaking of people leaving the, the show, let's talk a little bit about Robbie Amell himself. Not just Ronnie Raymond, but Robbie Amell's house. So post-mortem on Robbie Amell as, the, as Firestorm. Um, he did post on Instagram... Uh, this, the day after the episode came out, this is You Will See Me Again. So that implies we will see the character of Ronnie Raymond again. Now, we don't know what that means. Will we see Ronnie as, um, you know, in a flashback? Will we see, you know, I don't know, some video will? Or will we see an Earth 2 version of Ronnie Raymond at some point? For, all we really know is that if we see him, it won't, it's not coming back in a permanent role. They, they released an interview with EW, the Entertainment Weekly, where they talked about the, the reasons for his departure was he has a successful movie career that's building and growing. You know, he's been in X-Files that just got done filming. He's done The Duff. He's done a couple other movies. Their names escape me. So they say that they didn't want to be in the way of his, you know, growing movie career. Rob, what did you think of Robbie Amell in the role of Ronnie Raymond? Oh, I thought he was good. I, I yeah, I enjoyed him quite a bit. I mean, I, like I said, I, I still think Garber is kind of the, and we've said this before, that Garber is kind of the real, you know, I think the engine that drives that part because I think he's so perfectly cast as Martin Stein. And we're not saying that just because he said something about the Fire and Water podcast at that convention. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, he's he's really fun to watch and, and he's great as Stein. So, you know, he's the one, if you had to lose one of the two, he's the one you want to hold on to, not so much Robbie Amell. I, you know, I, I thought he was fine. I didn't I didn't think there was anything about Robbie Amell that made me jump up and be like, man, this guy's really great in this part. Like, I think Grant, how do you say Grant Just Grant Gustin? Uh, Grant, Gustin. Grant Gustin is great in the yeah. part of Barry Allen. And so, you know, but I thought Robbie Amell was, was, 
you know, perfectly fine. I hate to I don't sound like I'm doing a backhanded compliment, but I'm, I'm not. I mean, he was just, you know, he was good in the part. I, I think you you've hit it. He, it's he's sort of vanilla, bland, just fine. Is yeah. kind of what he was, and. You, it's funny you mentioned, you know, on the show, I, I'm constantly making predictions about this show, and I'm constantly wrong. And one of the ones I made many, many, many moons ago was that they wouldn't be able to hold on to Victor Garber, that he would leave before Robbie And then that seems a reasonable thing to, that seems like a reasonable guess to make, because that guy's got a really busy career in movies oh, and yeah. theater, and, to, you know, it, that, that, yeah, that, that's, I make fun of you when you make these wrong predictions, and justifiably so. But that one, <laughs> that one was utterly reasonable. <laughs> well, um, the thing I would say about Robbie Amell's Ronnie Raymond is the character, the character he was given, he played very well. He was very enjoyable to watch. He was a very likable character. You couldn't help but sort of root for the guy. At no point did you ever you know, dislike the character. And the dramatic tension between him and Caitlin Snow was, you know, you feel it pulling on the heartstrings, pulled on all the correct ones. Now, step back from that, that he didn't play Ronnie Raymond from the comics, though. We, we talked about this when he first showed up, and you know, I was trying to rationalize it, but he was, you know, the lead, project lead on a major uh, mechanical engineering project. That's not Ronnie. Ronnie's, Ronnie's a jock, you know? Um, the, the quips, you know, the funny jokes, the constant smart aleck is missing, the age difference. I mean, this guy's, you know, into his probably early 30s whereas, or late 20s, whereas Ronnie's, you know, high school kid. There's enough differences there that it, just, it didn't feel like Ronnie. It felt like a very likable guy, though. So I got on board with it. But then he even looked a little bit like Ronnie in some ways. But he, he wasn't playing the character of Ronnie Raymond. And that's an important point that I want to mention because we're, we're going to come back to it here towards the end of the discussion. So we talked about Professor Stein. So how did you feel about Stein's role in the premiere? Do you, how do you think uh, as far as how he's functioning without Firestorm? Well, I mean, he's given the part of, you know, he's literally the professor in, in so many ways. I mean, he's, you know, the, he's the older guy by about, I don't know, a full generation than the rest of them. Well, maybe he's not that much older than Harrison Wells. But, but I mean, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, it's kind of funny watching this, said this respected actress giving some of the dialogue. <laughs> Kevin, I'm calling him Adam Smasher. Like, oh boy, you know, <laughs> it's like not even a fine actor can sell some of that stuff. But uh, and I gotta wonder what he thinks about some of this. I, I was saying to to Darlin Tracy because we were watching it, and it's like some of the again some of the dialogue you have to say on these shows where it's like, you know, he's reversing the polarity of the singularity. That's so hard to say. I imagine right. as an actor and not to sound like what the hell am I talking about? This is friggin' gibberish. So. You know, no, he he's uh, he brings a lot of gravitas to the part in, in a show that's, you know, full of young people because it's a CW show. I mm-hmm. mean, any actor, the minute you hit the age 35, you just explode. So I'm, I'm amazed <laughs> that they even allow Garber on the show. He brings that kind of, you know, nice, serious grit to the part because he's probably lived an interesting life outside of being an actor. Yeah, I would love to, like, see a really in-depth interview with him, not just about the show, just about his life because I bet it'd be fascinating. He, uh, I'm glad you compared him to Dr. Wells, because that's kind of what he felt like in this episode. He felt like the new Dr. Wells. He was the, you know, as you said, elder statesman, but the, the lead scientist, though. The one who makes the big pronouncements scientifically, and everyone goes, oh, okay, let's do that. And uh, he sort of, and it's what I noticed in this episode, he's sort of carrying around the, what I call the, the scientists, the comic book scientist burden, burden. Which is, when you're, when you're a scientist in comics, and I think we've talked about this before, when you're a scientist in comic books, you know 
everything. He happens to be a physicist. However, once you're once you're labeled as the scientist, you're able to answer every single question on biology, yeah, theology, <laughs> every discipline, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just if you're the scientist, you're the scientist. You know everything. And uh, he's sort of falling into that role. I'm like, wait, he's a physicist, a nuclear physicist. Where is he? How does he know how singularities work? You know, things like that. But so I was I was very pleased with the character. So it was nice to see him. And I'm I'm glad he's hanging around. I didn't think he would. I didn't think he'd become like a you know what appears to be a regular on you know Team Flash. So that was kind of cool. Let's see. Any, any other characters from the pilot, or any? Other, I, I've got some other Firestorm related stuff I want to talk about. But any other plot points or characters you wanted to mention? Uh, I liked. Uh, I did like Captain Cold and Heatwave coming in. I sort of liked that they bring them in and they don't explain who they are, and you just have to assume that everybody's mm-hmm. watching the show. Uh, and you know, I love the Flash Day thing. I mean, I said it, it, it. We've talked about this before when the show has come up. It really is the closest adaptation of a comic book I really can imagine. In, in virtually any form, in terms of how much this show feels like Flash comics, mm-hmm. you know, at least the, the the ones that you and I sort of grew up with, familiar with. I mean, it just so much of it. I mean, it's it, 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 you know not always to the good. I mean, when Adam Smasher shows up and you know he's just kind of I'm Adam Smasher and like you know I kind of felt like it feels a little weird. This is like grown adults saying saying some of this dialogue, and when in comic <laughs> book, it's perfectly natural. But, you know, it is – it said it is uh, amazingly faithful to the spirit of the source material. And they even mentioned comic books in this episode. Yes, they did. Yeah, the Batman gag. That was funny. That was funny. So the, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Adam Smasher. He, he was sort of probably a weaker link in the story, but he just was there to forward the plot. He wasn't really that important. But the big piece of this where it connects to Adam Smasher that I, I think we got to mention is Jay Garrick. Yes. So I, what I, I was kind of hoping Jay would say at the end, he just, just said, hi, I'm Jay Garrick and your world's in danger or something like that. I was hoping, you know, you know the opening of every single episode has Barry doing that narration. Right. It says, my name is Barry Allen and I'm the fastest man alive. They call me the Flash or something like that. I kind of expected Jay to say, my name's Jay Garrick and I'm from another world and I'm the fastest man alive. And they call me the Flash. I kind of thought he would do that bit, which would be kind of cool. He never said he was the Flash because when end, my family turns to me and they're like, they almost didn't care. They're like, who's that? What's the big deal? You know, and I'm like, how am I freaking out? You know? Yeah, fanboys go nuts at the end yeah. of yeah, yeah. Well, they were smart to say it in the in the trailer, you know, because then immediately you go right into the trailer and he says he is the Flash, which was smart to do to give that to the fans who are watching, so the, the general audience can go, well, what? He's the Flash. So when my wife turned to me and she goes, "What is he like? The Flash from the old days or something?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah." I said he's from a parallel world. And she literally threw her hands up. She goes, I'm out. <laughs> I'm like, what? She goes, I hate parallel world crap. <laughs> and I'm like, just just wait. Just give it a chance. It's going to be okay. But boy, yeah, that just set off a, a problem. Just something that ticked her off. So anyway. All right. I wanted to mention a few more Flash, our Firestorm things, specifically about sort of the roles and the casting. There's a couple of casting announcements that are worth mentioning. But I, I was looking back at the supporting cast of the Flash who are actually Firestorm characters. We joke about this all the time, right, about how all these different people on the show that are actually Firestorm characters. Well, I compiled a list, actually, and it's a lot longer than I, have, than I thought it was. <laughs> so I'm going to run through this real quick, mention the character and the actor's name, and if you don't remember one of these characters, you go, who is that? I don't even remember that. But it's worth just going through this, just recognizing that if you watch The Flash, 
like 90% of the characters are actually Firestorm characters. So here we go. Ronnie Raymond, obviously played by Robbie Amell. Professor Martinstein, played by Victor Garber. Uh, in the second episode of season one, we met Danton Black, who was Multiplex. was played by Michael Smith. Uh, shortly after that, we met Betty Sansucci, who's actually Plastique, played by Kelly Fry. Then we met Jason Rush. Now, we only met him in a brief part where he was uh, an aide to Professor Stein, but in the comics, of course, he's Firestorm, played by Luke Roderick. Uh, we met Clarissa Stein, who in the comics is uh, that lilac-tinted whore, Clarissa Clemens, as Professor Stein's ex-wife. She play, and, and here, they're still married. She seems very sweet. Her hair is not purple. And she's played by Isabella Hoffman. We met Quentin Quayle, who was an old colleague of Stein's. In the comics, he's his douchebag boss. And he, that's played by was played by Bill Dow. And then uh, coming up this season, this is not a new announcement. This was announced a while ago. We're going to meet Henry Hewitt, who is the character of Tokamak. I don't know. if Did you know Tokamak's going to be in the show? Yes, yes. Okay. Played by, I think it's Demore Barnes is how you might say it. And then two other characters you might have heard of, Caitlin Snow, uh, who obviously is going to become Killer Frost at some point, played by the wonderful and beautiful and so sweet Daniel Panabaker. Did I mention I met her? She's adorable. I, several I several times, yes. And then, finally, Felicity Smoke, who's not technically a Flash character, but she's an Arrow character, but, as we know, she originated on Firestorm as well, played by Emily Beck Rickards. So, two more casting announcements. Episode two of this season, you saw, you saw the trailer for next week, right? Yes. You saw that guy who was, like, throwing sand at people? Yeah, that, the, uh, that one, I was, when I saw on your site who that is, I'm like, I, I've never even heard of that person. And there's a reason. It's extremely obscure. I didn't even know it was a Firestorm character at first. It's Eddie Slick, the Sand Demon, uh, played by Ket Turton. And when I when I first heard about it, someone someone had posted I don't know somewhere online, and, and they basically said, you know, new Firestorm character going to be on the Flash. And the strange thing is, it, it only the story really only broke a week or two ago. And considering how long ago this would have been cast and filmed, I'm shocked that it didn't break before now. Anyway, it says new Firestorm character going to be on the Flash. It said Sand Demon. I'm like. Who the hell is the Sand Demon? Like, I have no idea who that is. Like, I kind of think I would know, right? And then I had to look up the character bio. I'm like, oh, that guy? So here's here's the history on the Sand Demon, briefly. He appeared in two issues. Is right at the end of Jerry Conway's run. He appeared in two issues. He was a boxing promoter. And he is, uh, and he's just a regular guy. He's straight up human, no powers whatsoever. And he was very corrupt. He was working with the mob, and he would give his boxers drugs and things like that to to help them win the fights. Well, in this particular case, in this story, he fed his uh, his his boxer a bunch of mutagenic compound chemical superhero stuff, and it turned the guy into a big giant green monster. Well, the, the the weird thing about this Eddie Slick character that they have not adopted for the TV show is that he is a near double for Martin Stein. So what happened in the story is the monster mistook Martin Stein for his fight promoter of Eddie Slick and tried to kill Martin Stein. And so that was really kind of, that, that's all he really was. He was a one-note character as just a, bo- a corrupt boxing promoter who looked like Professor Stein. That's really the only purpose he served. And he was in two issues, and he was done, completely forgettable. Then, about two years later, John Ostringer brought him back. And he did sort of an interesting story where, um, this is during the Blank Slate era, when Professor Stein was actually dead, as far as we knew. And they, they get a lead that Professor Stein might be alive in Las Vegas. They go there. It turns out there's this sand demon, and he's, uh, he's sort of like the Sandman from 
Spider-Man. He, he's made of crystalline sand, and he's able to control sand, and he seems to be somewhat mindless, calls himself the Sand Demon, and he's attacking Las Vegas. What the deal is, basically, this guy, Eddie Slick, the mobsters who he worked deals with, they buried him alive. They, they, they tried to kill him, buried him alive, and he survived somehow. Had something to do with There's all kinds of reasons, because comics, we'll just say. He survived and became this sand demon creature, made of sand and could control sand. And so for two issues, they fought him. The Firestorm character thought it was Professor Stein, because he looked exactly like Professor Stein. And then by the end of the issue, they find out it's not, that it's Eddie Slick. And really, again, it was just a fake out. And it was really to fake the fans out more than anything, because we were hoping Professor Stein was still alive. And turns out it's Eddie Slick. And... There is more to the story there, and we'll find out when we review those issues when we get there in a while. But so, really minor, 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 minor character. So it's funny, you know, Roy Cleary who listens to our show. The minute it ended, he texted me. He says, <laughs> "Texted, did they just say Sand Demon?" <laughs> I was like, "Yup." <laughs> so anyway, that's going to be next week, Ket Turton. So when you guys hear this, you know, if you listen to it the day it drops, you've only got like two days to wait. How many royalty checks does Jerry Conway get for this show? You know what? I actually sent Jerry a message saying uh, over across Twitter, I said, who gets paid for this character? Because Jerry created Eddie Slick, non-powered Eddie Slick, though, right? Who looked like Professor Stunt. John Ostringer came in later and took that same character and gave him the Sand Demon powers. So who should get paid? Right. Jerry for creating the character? Who, who has nothing to do? I mean, he does, you know, unless he's a fight promoter, I don't know. But he's, he's nothing to do. He doesn't look like Stein. So, I don't know. That's a tough one. I think and, they, and they both get something, yeah. Well, Jerry's response was, I don't know. Good question. I'll ask. So. <laughs> and the next bit of casting is a lot more important. This is a big, big deal, folks. We've known for a while that Franz Drema, uh, and that's how I'm saying it. I'm probably saying it wrong. I don't know. Franz, Franz Drema is playing a character who, up to this point, we knew his name was Jay Jackson. And he was going to be taking over the role of Firestorm. Now, they tried to keep that quiet for a long time. We, se- we speculated that it was going to be true. We've now seen pictures of Franz Drema in the Firestorm costume that they... It's weird. The CW leaked it by accident, sort of? <laughs> what happened? Well, they did a trailer about two weeks ago of Upcoming in the Flash. And it had like sort of behind the scenes footage of them filming the flash. Like it'd be a lot of scenes where the actors would like look at the camera and smile, like as if they're just waving behind the scenes kind of stuff. Right. And, and one of the longer scenes was Grant Gustin as the flash standing next to Franz drama in the firestorm costume. And they're like preparing to film a scene. Well, we weren't supposed to know that he was firestorm yet at that point. It hadn't been official. People suspected it, but by showing that very clip, it sort of confirmed that Ronnie's dead. You know, and so they they released a trailer with it, and then very quickly pulled it. So it's almost like the promotions team and the I mean, it pulled it the same day. So it's almost like the promotions team and the script team weren't in sync there, and they're like, no, 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 you can't reveal that yet. So anyway, so here's where it gets it gets much more interesting. Just yesterday, they by, when we record this, they released the description for episode four of the Flash season two. Now I'm going to read it real quick, and it says introducing. Firestorm. Barry and the team look for another Firestorm match for Dr. Stein. When the team meets Jefferson Jax Jackson, played by Franz Drema, Caitlin has her reservations about whether Jax is the right match for Dr. Stein. Iris surprises Joe. Well, Barry and Patty grow closer and talks about other stuff that's not related to that. So, we find out that this character we've been calling all along Jay Jackson, 
that they've written bunches of articles on speculation of who he was. We know he's going to be on Legends of Tomorrow. There was all, people were trying to say he was going to be Black Lightning because there's no one in comics called Jay Jackson that we could connect with. So anyway, people tried to say he was going to be Black Lightning. People tried to say he was going to be Cyborg. All these things. Some people tried to say he was going to be basically a Jason Rush analog. That's what I thought. I thought he was going to be Jason Rush analog. Jefferson Jackson is who he is. Folks, that's a Firestorm supporting character. That was Ronnie's best friend in high school. When, when Ronnie was always on the basketball team, he was always palling around with Jefferson, with, uh, uh, oh, what's that woman's name? Doreen Day, that bitch, and Cliff Carmichael. So it turns out that this character is actually an existing Firestorm character. We didn't even know it because he was going by Jay rather than Jefferson. Blew my mind when I read that last night. And oddly enough, between that and the character description, I've done a 180 on this replacement. I wasn't really in favor of Robbie Amell. I mean, Robbie Amell is leaving no matter what, but I wasn't really in favor of a replacement. I I thought that they were trying to do the Jason Rush Firestorm thing, and I was like, how is that going to work with Jason Rush and Professor Stein, all the stuff? But now that I know that he's Jefferson Jackson, I, I just suddenly I'm completely on board with it. And check out this description. I mentioned to you earlier that Robbie Amell played Ronnie Raymond, but it wasn't like Ronnie Raymond in the comics, right? So listen to this description and tell me if this does not sound like Ronnie Raymond in the comics. All right. This is how they described uh, Jay Jackson when they originally released the character description. Former high school football star who lost out on a chance to go pro after an injury, now an auto mechanic, Jay finds a surprising affiliation to the Star Labs crew. A regular street smart guy who unexpectedly gains powers and then as part of the team regularly quips about the insanity of the situations. There you go. That's Ronnie. So, you know, I don't know how they're going to play this. I don't know how Franz is going to play the character. I don't know if he's, you know, what what the character is going to be like. I mean, he's obviously, as they said, he's supposed to be a regular guy, street smart. I don't know how far they're going to play that. Is he going to be street smart like a a gang member? Is he going to be a thug? Or is he just going to be a guy who's, you know, a blue-collar worker? Because that's what Ronnie is. Ronnie's a blue-collar guy. And Professor Stein's a white-collar guy. That's what makes them, you know, clash so well and and complement and contrast each other. So I really hope he's basically the Ronnie we saw in the comics. It would be even – I mean, they could go as far as to say that he was friends with Ronnie in high school. You know, there's no reason they couldn't say that. They could, they could say that they were best buddies, and maybe that's part of the reason that he got the Firestorm powers. Maybe when Ronnie died, the powers goes to somebody he knew. I don't know. Or maybe he met him, met, met um, Jay Jackson when, he was, when Ronnie was living on the streets as a homeless person as Firestorm. But it, it just that, that original description, sounding like Ronnie, and the fact that he's playing Jefferson, I've done a, I'm like super excited for this now. Maybe I'm a little too excited. Maybe I'm putting more into this than is really there. I don't know. But I am so jazzed for this, for this uh, debut of this character now. I cannot wait. That's going to be October 27th too, by the way, folks. So excited. I really want to see a live-action Cliff Carmichael. With the mutton chops? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. They could do that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think who would play that. I'm not very good at this fan cast. Well, you just have makeup. You could just do makeup. You can't make someone grow those awful mutton chops. That would be... Sure you can. Well, you, um, you could, but... Didn't Hugh Jackman grow them, or are those fake? I think those are fake. Really? Aw. He's so into... He's Did so I ruin like, the movies for you, Shaq? He's a method actor, right? I thought he would do it. <laughs> we need Ryan Daly. Ryan, we need some fan casting. You're like the fan casting guy, I know. So, give me some fan casting for Cliff Carmichael, please. So... All right, folks. Well, I think that's going to do it. I'm excited about The Flash. Well, I, I think there was a lot of 
I had a lot more issues with the season opener. I mean, I did enjoy it, but there's a lot of things that I struggle with. In fact, if you want to hear me talk more about the Flash season opener in a lot more detail, I recently recorded an episode of the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. It's uh, If you follow the Flash podcast, they're one of the sister shows, Legends of Tomorrow podcast. Uh, I, I think it'll be a week or two till it's released, but they were kind enough to invite me to be on the show. I really appreciate that couple of really nice folks, Kat and Greg, were, they're wonderful to chat with. So we talk at length about the Flash trailer. I'm Flash pilot. I mean, or, I'm going to get that right any second now. The Flash season two premiere. That's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, check that out. Now, we're going to go to break. You're going to hear a couple of promos for some of our friends' podcasts. But when we come back on the other side, uh, you're going to hear myself on the Fire and Water podcast 2015 world tour. You're going to hear when I stopped off in Detroit, Michigan, and had a nice little talk with our buddy Doug Zawiza. And we try to talk about the Roger Stern, Tom Lyle, Starman, but we spent a lot of time talking about whatever the hell we felt like at that moment. So with that, we'll see you on the other side. Aquaman. In 1939, Timely Comics published its first issues. It later changed its name, first to Atlas Comics and then to Marvel Comics. In 2014, Marvel polled its fans asking for the 75 greatest Marvel stories from those 75 years and published that list in print form. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels countdown will walk through all 75 of these stories every Wednesday from December 31st, 2014 to June 1st, 2016. Join me, Blaine Dowler, and a cadre of other hosts, including established podcasting greats and emerging talents, as we run through the list, discuss each story in the context of its original release, and determine just what makes it so great. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown can be found at Bureau42.com, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. Who here likes comic books? Who likes superheroes? Who likes superhero comic books? From the 90s! That's what I thought. Hey there, I'm Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks. And though I've always loved superheroes, the only time I was buying monthly issues was during the much maligned 1990s. I've decided to go through my personal collection, issue by issue, and in my own little way, try to answer the question, were 90s comics really that bad? Chances are the answer will be yes, but I think these books deserve another chance, and they're going to get it on 90s Comics Retrial, part of the Council of Geeks podcast, available on iTunes and at 90scomicsretrial.wordpress.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Firewater Podcast. This is Irritable Shag coming to you live from the bowels of Detroit, Michigan. And if you've ever been here, you know what I mean. I'm sitting here with none other than Doug Zawizzywig. Uh, is that how you say it? Something like that. Yeah. And as for the bowels of Detroit, well, eh, you get used to the smell. Well, I think I just saw that Ed, what, 209 go walk by? Or was that <laughs> Robocop? I get him confused. Yeah, he's around. Uh, at least Kwame's still not around. So <laughs> those of you who are Detroiters or Michiganders or even maybe folks from Texas know what I'm talking about with Kwame. Michigander. If not, Google. Michigander is a word, by the way, just yes. in case you're wondering. You can there, Google it. There are no Michigoose. Michigoose. 
Mishigasis. So somehow I ended up in Detroit, and I was, you know, on a street corner, bumming a cigarette from someone, and I came across Doug. And I have sent out the ransom note. So my wife is very excited to see that and find out how much I'm worth and <laughs> figure out what my health and my life insurance is worth more. We got a case of Mountain Dew Code Red coming. Oh, hot dog. <laughs> so Doug has been on the show before. Doug, you were on to talk with us about, if I remember correctly, a Red Tornado Justice League story. Yep. Uh, 192 and 93. Yep. That's right. And then back again for 200. That's right. We had you back for 200. Uh, yeah, because you guys recognize talent. Yeah. Right? Um, right? I think we had Frank on before you, so I think that, that just <laughs> negates any observation of talent whatsoever. Oh, man. Doug recently uh, had the misfortune of starring on a Secret Origins episode. Yeah, what? Yeah, I know. It's very forgettable. That was me? I, supposedly. I don't know. Brian made it sound like a completely different person. Well. <laughs> Brian, right? Brian. Uh, Brian. Brian. Brian, yeah. Brian. I think that's his name. Okay. So, But we decided to get together today. We, we, we struggled for topics after uh, throwing out an idea of talking about Claw the Unconquered and Rima and all the stuff you guys would rather hear us talk about. We decided to talk about the 1990s Will Payton Starman series. Wait, wait, wait. I thought we were talking about Dynamut. Oh, that's later. No. That's the private off-air conversation. My 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 weird fetish for Blue Falcon, it's it's not healthy. So it that par- explains a whole lot. It might explain why my wife's fine with me being out of town <laughs> as well. It also so. explains the cape. Shh. This is an audio medium. Thank you very much, Doug. Yeah, but it's theater of the mind. <laughs> By the way, this room is full of baldness. Uh, just <laughs> sexy, sexy baldness. Reaming with baldness. So, Doug, uh, why don't you first tell the folks at home where it is normally something you cover at the end, but you know what? You're kind of like internet famous and stuff. <laughs> tell people where they can find you. What, why internet would they know who you are? Odds are you probably won't unless you've been out to comic book resources or as we affectionately call it, CBR, and complained about a review over the past six or seven years. <laughs> Odds are I may have written that review. Um, I've reviewed over 2,000 books for comic book resources. Prior to that, I wrote for uh, comicblock.com or jeffjohns.com. Jeff abandoned the site real quick after we started doing that. Just kidding, Jeff. We love you. Don't worry. He listens to this show religiously, so you're <laughs> I'm fine. Sure he does. I also have a blog for the Doom Patrol. Come on, everybody. Really? Hands up for Doom Patrol. R- really? You have a blog for the Doom Patrol? I have a blog. Okay. I didn't say it's a current blog. I uh-huh. didn't say it's well-maintained. Oh, I, I see. Okay. There is a blog. It does exist. That exists in cyberspace, taking up a little corner. There's at least a post on it. And it cries itself to sleep every night because uh, it's been neglected. Unlike your uh, cyborg blog, right? Oh, uh, the who what? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> I think it got one post. Yeah, I think maybe. maybe. Maybe two. Didn't you have another one reserved for Zatanna, maybe? No, or not Zatanna. Was something Z. Oh, that was uh, the Z for your name. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. there is. A, there was a catching Zs that I had for oh, a while. Oh, Red Tornado. Red Tornado. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. Red Tornado. Yep. With the most obscure selection yeah. name ever. Yes. Old Thune. Old Thune. <laughs> that was Tornado Tyrant. Come on. D- Doug was there in the wilderness years of blogging, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, what happened was this guy here kept Doug into the wilderness... Was uh, talking to Mr. Kelly. It was like, I like this blog stuff. I want to do one about Firestorm. <laughs> Rob's like, some loser is already doing Firestorm. Pick something else. Ouch! I like Hawkman. Someone else is doing Hawkman. <laughs> Pick someone else. And that's exactly what Rob sounded like when I was talking to him about it. That's believable. I mean, he's he's whiny. So then I was like, talk ah, about baldness. Jeez, yeah. Talk about baldness. You <sighs> ball there, that. buddy. Look at that. We could conduct a lot of electricity, couldn't we? <laughs> Go to one of those balls that make the hair stand up. What would happen? What would happen? 
Mind blown. Yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. So uh, there's the Doom Patrol blog. It's uh, mygreatestadventure80.blogspot.com. Could you have found a shorter or lo- no longer oh, URL maybe? Man. Come on. Because you know, doompatrol.blogspot.com just wouldn't have worked? Hold on. Hobby. No, it was already taken. Okay. Doompatrolblog.blogspot.com? Why would you say Doom that? Doompatrolfan.blogspot.com? Doom Patrol what? <sighs> so there's somebody out there who wants to be a Doom Patrol blogger. You've got a lot of options. Yeah. Thanks. Shag. No problem. Maybe someone will come up with something better. Maybe there'd be a Doom Patrol podcast. Is oh, there might there might be one. <laughs> That's something I would wait for. What's the name of that podcast? I don't know. Come on, you, these people at home aren't that smart. You've got to give it. You got to spoon feed oh, it to them. No, they're in Australia, so they won't hear this for a little while. Oh, it's well, yeah. <laughs> It'll be upside down too. Exactly, and backwards maybe. <laughs> Waiting for Doom is a podcast about the Doom Patrol, and they're doing a hell of a job. Just a soft little plug there. There you go. But awesome. that's not where you can find me. Uh, you can find me, like I mentioned, Doom Patrol Blogspot CBR, and I just started another blog. <laughs> Of course you did. And this one, if you thought the other one had a long name. Okay. Oh, you got to be kidding. Here we go. Ready? Yeah. Take a drink. Okay. Tales of My Greatest Strange Adventures. Oh, my gosh. Dot blogspot. Are you serious? I think I am. So is that that Dead Man? Tales of Strange Adventures? It's going to be whatever strikes me. Okay. Okay, so I am looking at Tales of My Greatest Strange Adventures.blogspot.com, and I see a picture of Rob Kelly's favorite comic book of all time, Justice League of America, annual number two. How awesome is that? Where Aquaman destroys the Justice League. Yeah, and Firestorm goes home crying. He fires Firestorm, and then he hires Vibe. Yeah. This is classic, classic yeah. stuff. Being that we're in Detroit, I guess that's sort of fitting. Exactly. That's why we're in Detroit. That's why we're in Detroit. Shag's De- here. He's trying to find Vibe. I've been looking for him for... Secret is out, folks. My whole life, I've been looking for Vibe. <laughs> Vibefan.blogspot.com. That's where Shag's going. Hey, I... I Which is something else entirely. I <laughs> I do love me some vibe. Though. I really do. I mean, the Justice League Detroit's where I cut my teeth, man. No kidding. On Justice League, the first Justice League I ever bought uh, as a regular reader was JLD because I it was those covers of uh, two thirty two or whatever it was that the like the four cover triptych. One oh, was vibe, one was steel, okay. one was gypsy, you yep, know, yep. and Vixen. And I just thought that was so cool. You could put the covers together. There was a poster. Okay, yeah, Did I think I knew that. I think I knew that. And I was like, that's so cool. And you know, I didn't realize at the time that I was going to be a Chuck Patton lover, you know, for the rest of my life. But I was like, that's great. So I bought those. All yeah, four of those. Yeah, comic shop and I was suddenly a Justice League Detroit reader and it's I mean Avengers I got into the brown jacket Avengers I mean it's I always pick the weirdest time to, to join in on teams the brown jacket Avengers the oh, JLD shit. and brown jacket Avengers are pretty they have a lot in common pretty right. similar I have to leave if you're into that what <laughs> it's your town well yeah Justice League Detroit I was always a uh, growing up my cousins would be I'm Batman or you know I'm Superman and I always got stuck with Robin I'm like like hell am I gonna be Robin you like the pixie boots no, so I would always pick like Aquaman or Flash or Green Lantern or Hawkman. So when Aquaman went, you guys get out. This is the Justice League now. That became my league. Okay. But that's not my first start with them. But that was, that's my league. Yeah. JLD? It, it really sunk in. It hit my heart. Yeah. And uh, still to this day. And actually, what Shag's talking about, what he's looking at is on Tales of My Greatest Strange Adventures. Blogspot.com. Oh, gosh. Seriously, folks, you just type it once. It'll come up every time. Uh, unless you clear your history. Why would you do that? So the feds don't find it. I mean, nothing. No, no reason. <laughs> or why? I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're learning a lot about Doug as we yeah, sit here. And we're also learning a lot about internet browsing, too. Or at least I am. So that whole incognito thing, Doug, learn it. <laughs> that article that he's talking about talks about Vixen's first appearance on the CWC. Oh, okay, yeah. They're putting Vixen into the Flash and Arrowverse. Yes, yeah, but it's, is it animated? It's a cartoon, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I haven't checked it out yet, so. It's only five minutes long. Okay, well. You, you could do that while you're driving. Right. That's... It's Detroit. Everybody does that. Come on. <laughs> this town frightens me. <laughs> As it should. It's maybe my last recorded record of anything, really. So we told people we are going to talk about Starman. We're not doing a very good job of it. No, we aren't. Who? Right. So, uh... Dynamut. Dynamut. Yeah, I did like that cartoon growing up. I did like it, too, but I don't remember anything about it. Didn't they team up on one of those Scooby-Doo hour things? Like, you know, where you would team up with people? And Scooby's like... I want to use the R word, but I can't. Scooby's no. cousin. So Scooby Dumb. The hat. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Not that hard to come up with, Doug. <laughs> it's not complicated. It, it was for me because Doug and Dumb are just so far away. Well, it, I, there it, was it, that movie, Doug and Dumber. Doug and Dumber, right? Come on now. All right. Come on. <laughs> that takes me back to the summers growing up where I'd go over to Grandpa's house and he'd be yelling at the dog. And I always thought he was yelling at me. Dog, get out of here. <laughs> what I just got here. Grandpa, no. Damn it, dog. But what I do now. <laughs> The uh, the WYSIWYG households uh, sound quite interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's talk about Starman. Let's. So we have in front of us a stack of all 30-something <clears throat> issues of Starman. Doug's bogarting the pile, so I can't tell what the last issue was. I can't either. And you the, know last, the last issue is actually... Go ahead, Chad. Uh, go on, tell him what the You know what he keeps issues. on the bottom of his Starman, Starman pile is Eclipso, The Darkness Within, number one. With the jewel cover, by the way. Jewel exit. That's where it ends. <sighs> 45 the, issues of Starman. Will Peyton's story doesn't end there. James Robinson Starman picks it back up, buddy. Yeah. Without any spoilers. Yeah. So, how did you come to this series? How did you How did you find this? Guy? I picked up number one right off the, the rack. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, okay. Um, gosh, I don't remember if it was convenience store purchase or if it was an actual comic shop because I was buying comics at both places. It's a comic shop. There's no UPC. Yeah, this isn't my original copy. Oh well, there you go. Wow, you yeah. paid for it twice. Yeah. Sucker. <laughs> At least twice. In the aftermarket, no less. <laughs> yep. And there's even a worse story about that as we go along here. Uh-oh. Um, but somewhere out there, when we get to that story, we'll uh, we'll come back there. You know, we're anyway, not, we're not uh, here for hours. P- picked up Starman off the rack, and okay. at the time, I think we talked about the shag. There were some we not weird, offbeat DC Comics to choose from. You know, we weren't recording during that other conversation. Right, They right. have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, huh? Okay. Anyway, it was pre-Vertigo, or Vertigo-ish. Proto-Vertigo. Uh, late 80s... Let's tell people the creative team. Creative team is Roger Stern and Tom Lyle with Bob Smith inking, and you're going to make me actually open the bag. Yep, hear that? That's genuine comic noise right there. We don't go cheap on the sound effects in this show. Digital nothing. This is real, folks. So we got Roger Stern, we got Tom Lyle, Bob Smith, Bob Pahana, Panaha. Easy for you to say. With with a guy with your last name, you think you'd have more respect (laughs) for people. You would think. Bob Panaha lettering and Juliana. Wow. Really? I do need the glasses. <clears throat> Let's see here. Oh, shag. Juliana Ferreter. Yeah, that's colorist. For you to say. Bob Greenberg is the editor. There we there go. There you go. So that's so, Starman. So basically, it, it's known as the the, Tom, the Roger Stern, Tom Lyle, Bob Smith Starman. You know, Will Payton. I think it's more Stern and Lyle. I think Bob Smith falls off a lot because, oh, you know, okay. tracers. <laughs> Dang. Did I just say that? You did. You totally said that. You're making friends. 
Oh, where to go from here? Anyway, yeah. Tom Lyle. Yeah. Uh, so this is Tom Lyle pre-Robin, pre-Spider-Man, pre-everything else yeah. he did, and pre-leaving the industry. I we were talking about off air there. Tom Lyle. I, he like he represents everything I love about the '90s that doesn't look '90s. Yeah. He, he had a different style, clean style, that was animated, but not yeah, I mean, detailed. Sort of like a halfway step between like a paraback and a regular '90s artist, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Very similar to, like, Mark Bagley at his best. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. Um, you know, same mold, not necessarily same style, but similar. You know? What was his um, his Impact comic? Did he Comet? Was that what yeah. it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good stuff. Oh, ouch. Why? Why ouch? <laughs> I'd forgotten all about yeah. Impact. And Parabek did the fly. I mean, I'd forgotten all about Impact. Really? Yeah. There was some good stuff. In fact, you know, I uh, Mark Wade wrote some of his earliest stuff he ever wrote was for Impact. All right. And I got to meet him at... Um, Dragon Con, I think it was, somewhere I met him and got him to sign a comic. And he's like, no one asks me to sign comics. What do you, this is back then. Yeah, he was more, really? more known as an editor. Maybe he's editing the Impact comics. Maybe that's okay. what it was. I, I got him to sign it because he'd also written this Aquaman piece in the back of an Aquaman comic, which I didn't have with me. But I had him yeah. sign yeah, something. he wrote a lot of the Loose Leaf Who's Who pages. Yes, he too. did. But I had him autograph something. And he's like, nobody asked for my autograph. I'm just an editor. What are you talking about? And, uh, you know, I was like, I really like, you know, what you do and stuff. And uh, we had a conversation, which is great. The only time I've ever met him seemed really nice. Nice. But now, I, you know, he's an incredible writer. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wade's one of my faves. Yeah. Tom Lau, great artist, though. And Roger Stern, who had been doing Superman for a long time. And, and they pulled no punches with this. They hit you cover number one, light blue and yellow, orange background, purple and yellow costume. Come on. What's not to love? And that costume, this one's for you, Michael Bailey. It looks like peanut butter and jelly. It and, really does. And that costume, really? You're going to wear that out in public? It's very garish. Uh, <laughs> and it might have been what kept me away from it, because um, I'll tell you my origin story with Stormy. I didn't buy it when it first came out. I bought the Invasion crossover issues, because Firestorm was in it. And yep. so was Power Girl. Wow. So was Robot Man. And Firehawk. Oh, wait. He wasn't in the Starman. He was in the okay. Invasion story. Sorry. But yeah, Firehawk, Firestorm. Power Girl and Starman all in this crossover together. I, I picked that up, of course. And then um, you were talking about the proto-vertical title. Proto-vertical. Yeah, so at this point, DC was farming a bunch of their licenses trying to find out the next big thing. So they had Starman. I think they did a... Was Shade around this time, too? Shade, yeah. And yeah. Animal Man. Yep. Shade, and Animal Man. Sandman. Sandman. Have been going. Oh, yeah. 89. And I'm trying to think. Oh, so Doom Patrol, Sandman, Shade. You had uh, Hellblazer. You had Swamp Thing. Yep. You know, all these different titles were on the market. Well, and somewhere in here, I I don't know what happened, but I kind of I started reading Sandman. And I started reading right. Doom Patrol. And I was like, oh, my gosh. These are amazing. You know, they were so good. And I decided that I was reading grown-up comics now, I guess is what happened. I was still buying a lot of the superhero stuff stuff apparently i don't remember doing it but i must have based on how many long boxes i have and around so around 89 90 or, or so i kind of like was moving away from standard superhero stuff reading more of this this deeper thought-provoking stuff because you know i was finishing high school i thought i was a grown-up you know i was like oh i want to read smart comics now starman number 26 came out now on the cover has david knight the son of uh, Ted Knight, Starman, the, like the classic JSA Starman on it. And I was like, wait a minute, JSA reference? And I love me some JSA. There it is right there. Yep. See it? You see it at home, folks? Anyway. Ooh, 3D. <laughs> and so it's got David Knight on the front as Starman, the, the basically the son of the Golden Age Starman. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love the JSA. I was heartbroken when they were gone because I loved All-Star Squadron and Young All-Stars and all that. And so I picked up this issue, read it just for, this, just for the Golden Age Starman aspect of it. And I was like, wow, this is a really fun superhero comic. 
I had forgotten that I enjoy fun superhero comics. I've been reading all these mature comics for a while. Wasn't this around Manhunter, too? The Mark yeah. Shaw Manhunter? I came to Mark Manhunter, I think I started reading Manhunter after it was over, actually, though. All right. I loved that series, but I think I read it after it was over. But it was around the same time, wasn't it? Um, He was part of the Millennium crossover, which would have been 88, mm-hmm. and he only went 24 issues, so I don't know. I don't even know if Starman survived that long. Bottom line was, I... I this comic, Starman number 26, reinvigorated my love for four-color superheroes nice. at a time when I wasn't really feeling it. Because this comic was fun, and I wanted to read fun comics again, and I, it just it got me knee-deep back into superheroes, like in, enjoying them. As, as I say on this show quite a bit, you know, you got to find your joy. Well, at that moment, I found my joy with fun superheroes again, and thanks to this comic. So I went back and bought all the previous issues, which as I go through the covers here, I clearly barely remember. <laughs> uh, I need to reread now. Just fell in love. Fell in love with the series. 26 changed them up from the purple and yellow. Well, it was 25, technically. Yeah, yeah, it was the yeah, last yeah. page of 25. Yep. It changes from the from the peanut butter and jelly costume. But on the covers. Yeah, to the black costume, which I like a lot more. Most people oh, yeah. don't. Most people prefer the, the original suit. The, the black costume is a little more old. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, the purple and yellow is garish. Yes. And the purple and yellow was designed by his sister, so you see a little bit of the why it might be so clown-worthy. <laughs> Whereas the black, I think the sister actually designed the black and red one too. After a while, but yeah, I I don't remember the story rationale behind it. Right. Yeah, it was a good switch up, and also with the twenty five to twenty six switch. Yep. Tom Lyle left the book twenty five. Yep. And then uh, Dave Hoover took over for a while with twenty six, and I'm not, you know, I could thumb through here and see by credits how long he stuck around. I liked Dave Hoover's art. It was yeah. very classic superhero-y. I think he did had a good you know good handle on stuff. He, I mean, is he the greatest artist ever? No, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. Now, Mike Mignola, Mign- Mignola, Mignola, I don't know how you say it, but he took over doing the covers towards the end there. Yeah, yeah. He didn't do too many of them, though, but he did take over right around, well, about the time when Eclipso started yep. sneaking in. The last three or four covers. Now, I love Mignola, but I don't know that he was the right choice for Starman covers. Um, He might have been the right choice for the Starman covers if there were an artist similar on the interior. <laughs> and, and at that time, Mignola was a very, very, very different style. Yeah. And a very acquired taste. And if anybody could have seen what he would have become, these books might have caught on a little bit more concretely. So, do you remember Will Payton's origin enough to tell the people at home? I have a vague recollection of the origin, and if not, I'm sure you'll find out on an upcoming episode of Who's Who. Oh, oh, I bet we are going to get to that. He's in, uh, yeah. in the update. Okay. Yeah. All right. Why do you tell the people at home? Uh, Will or well, Will origin Will <laughs> Will Payton's origin is he's the son of uh, Chicago Bears running back Walter Payton. No. What? Not really. I was like, this is not how I remember this comic not at all. Actually, the origin opens with, or the the issue opens with Will Payton. Waking up, well, waking up in a burnt spot of grass in one of the national parks. Uh, Somewhere in Arizona, probably. I mean, actually, where... Colorado Rockies is what oh. it says. And what had happened is there was a government agency or a private agency that was conducting experiments of imbuing people with superpowers, and something happened with their satellites that they were using to shoot the powers down into people, and it wound up striking this random hiker in the Colorado Rockies who just so happened to be Will Payton. Uh, that led to the first, uh, that completed the first arc, or not completed, but set up the first arc of this series that pitted that organization against Will Payton Starman. Power Elite, weren't they called? Uh, were they the Power Elite? Yes, Is they that were. their actual name? That's the answer you're looking for, yes. Well, there you go. See? You should agree with most things I say. It'll make your life much easier. <laughs> Yeah, I, okay. I did tell Doug if he cried on the air, it would be <laughs> podcast gold. So Yeah, well, not going to happen. 
Anyway, it was the Power Elite, as Shag said, and what happened with the Power Elite was they each had, I believe, they each had one of the powers that Starman had, and Starman had all these powers. Of, he had flight, and he could project energy. I'm not sure if it was energy or heat. Obviously, this series is begging for a reread, so it's going to happen, kids. We'll get back to that, too. But uh, Power Elite had different powers that Starman had the amalgamation of, which made for a pretty even... I guess, or at least even enough to stretch out for four issues. Yeah. Story, maybe it was even five. But from there, Starman uh, kind of meandered a bit. It, it never really found its true path. There were fun adventures. There were fun stories, as Shag mentioned. It was just a fun comic. It was a comic about a guy who wasn't ever really in the mind of being a superhero, but his sister was certainly enamored with the fact that he had superpowers and could be a superhero, and she did everything she could to inspire him. And towards the, well, not towards, but throughout the series, you see that transformation. And it's not as severe as Jack Knight's transformation in the James Robinson Starman, but you can see Will Payton growing as a person and as a hero throughout the series. Well, I, I know from reading, I read two issues recently, I appeared on Stella's Background Oracle podcast, and Oracle has a brief appearance in the series, so she covered that, and she asked me to appear on it with her. She checked that out, Background Oracle, great podcast. Anyway, so I reread some recently, and there's some neat moments in there where he's taking a heroic action, and he's trying to sort of compare himself to Superman. He's saying, what would Superman do? And apparently, as I'm sort of like flipping through it, he does that a lot through the series. He's It's, it's sort of meta in that way, and like he's using a, a, a hero to us, which is fictional, but he's using them in the same the purposes, same purposes as being iconic, and saying, what would Superman do in this situation? I want to live up to that. Right. And in issue 14, he actually meets Superman. Well, and Roger Stern writing him, I mean, he, he kind of was, if you look at his power set, he was almost like a miniature version of Superman. Superman level, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and DC was, at one point or another, was really behind this character. They wanted this character to be the next rising star. Right. I mean, if you look at their marketing materials, if you look at the way they pushed Firestorm in the early 80s, when he was big, and he was sort of like the, just below the top level heroes at that point, as far as sales goes and popularity, and the way they pushed him, you know, he'd be in the role-playing merchandise, things like that. Starman, at one point or another, was sort of that level. He was like, once you get past the main heroes, Starman was the next guy they were pushing. Yeah, he wasn't quite uh, the same persona. He wasn't a Firestorm cookie Yeah, from the Firestorm cookie cutter. Right. But he was certainly in the same direction. Yeah. They wanted to have a character that was grounded first as a man and then build the powers around it and see what the powers do to somebody who is normal, air quotes, and then see what comes out of that. And I think Roger Stern did a great job pulling that off. And this series... I forget exactly where this falls in the Dark Ages, Dark Ages being the time between Firestorm series, <laughs> but it does definitely fall between them. Uh, well, actually, it starts before... It starts before it was over, yeah. because Firestorm actually crossovers. The blind right. slate Firestorm appears. So, way to get your history wrong. Nice, yeah. Nice yeah. job. Well, you know, I never claimed to be a historian. You know, actually, we were talking about the suits and how much I like the black costume more. I'm such a dork. Not that you people at home are shocked by this, but the DC role-playing game, okay. uh, the second edition, came with these little cards. Like, okay. it'd be like the major heroes. And they were they were designed to go in a nine-pocket loader. So you put your little cards in nine-pocket loaders or whatever, and, you know, if you wanted your Superman stats for the role-playing game, they're on the back. Pictures for me on the front. And Starman had a card. And I was such a dork that I traced it on a sheet of paper and then recolored it in the black costume and stuck it on the front of it. Awesome. Just because I liked the black costume that much more. Awesome. I actually, uh, I had met Tom Lyle and he was, he had some, uh, card stock prints that were like promo pieces for Starman and they were black and white. Oh. Because they were just, you know, this is late eighties, early nineties. And so it's on, you know, he's just Xeroxing them all wherever he's going. 
And I got two or three of them. I honestly don't have them anymore. I was looking for them earlier. But I colored one with the purple and yellow. And then I went back and colored one with the red and the black. The black one was easy. It was just Sharpie. Sure. Done. <laughs> but the purple and yellow one stuck around. Okay. What's I, don't, I don't know what they were thinking about the purple and yellow. I honestly don't accept. Let's make him look different. Well, the, the colors do contrast well, sort of. Yeah, I ain't got nothing on it. I was trying to, <laughs> trying to, trying to, like, the more I look at it, I'm like, yeah. And it's because it's not even, it's more like gold. It's almost booster goldish yellow. Yeah, it kind of is. That would be so. kind of fun yeah. to have booster. Uh-oh. We Shazam! Have, we have a special guest star. Doug's dog, Shazam, has entered and is now leaving. Yeah. So she, rea- she realized, or he realized Doug's not that interesting and left. So, see, he's like. That would actually be fun, though, to have Booster Gold on one of his little time travels. Oh, Kick right that'd into be great. this. Oh. Hey, Dan Jurgens. Hey, Dan Jurgens. Dan has been known to listen. Yeah. So, maybe. Probably not to us, but no, you and I, I mean. No, no. But well, maybe to me. Maybe to you. Yeah, maybe to look, you. There's those reviews out there. Right, that's true. I'm sure there's I mean, a Dan Jurgens review in there somewhere. Well, he and I, we were pretty tight when Firestorm was going on. Yeah, but where's Firestorm now? Jerry Conway! There you go. All right. So Will Payton goes on. The As we said, the change happens issue 26. They put him in a black costume. They start trying to put him through some darker adventures. Yeah. They, and and they, they purposely tried it. They even had a seduction of Starman or something like that storyline. Wait a minute. Darker adventures, DC, in this series doesn't wait. So we had the model right here, DC, and it didn't work first time. <laughs> <laughs> from, uh, from your mouth to Dan DiDio's ears. Uh, hey, Dan. Hang on. Let me see here real quick. So we talked about uh, Magnolia does some covers. Hooper does leave the book. And Stern leaves the book, too. Whoa, Peter David helped write this issue. Yeah, that's the one with... Uh, Mr. Nebula and Monel, or Valor, I should say. Yeah. All right, so... Oh, let's write... Str- Lenz Trzewski took over. Yeah, he, didn't he write the... <sighs> which, did he write the Paravac? He did. He did write the Paravac JSA. And Lenz Trzewski is, it, to me at least, was a wild card. Some comics he wrote were absolute gold, and some just didn't work. So you mean like Grant Morrison? <laughs> Grant Morrison's just crazy. I think probably all of his work is decent. We just don't exist on the fourth plane of existence to understand it. All right. Probably is how that works. So, so Len brings the series towards the end, and you have a whole rotating cast of artists I'm looking here. My goodness. By the end, issue 45, he's fighting Eclipso, and the series ends and goes into Eclipso, the Darkness Within, number one. Yeah. And I think it's actually in number two that Will Payton's story ends. So here's... Doug Shag's almost, not making me cry. Doug almost cried. So here's what happens in my life. I, I guess I wasn't working in the comic shop at this point. I don't know. I started in 91. I don't remember when the last issue came out. Either way, somehow I didn't get a chance to read the Eclipso story. I don't know why. I was busy. Whatever. And so I'm hanging out with my friends, and they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, did you read Eclipso number two yet? I'm like, no, I didn't. Back off. And I had known the Will Payton story. Comic ended. I know Eclipso was towards the end of the series, right? So just as a joke... I said, no, guys, I haven't read it. Don't spoil anything for me. I don't want to know if Will Payton dies. Just, like, totally as a joke. Man. And they're like, oh, so you've read it. I'm like, what? Oh. I was, first of all, spoiled. You know, spoilers. Second of all, crushed. So uh, I've never really been able to forgive that comic for that. Yeah. Even though they gave me a purple gem on the cover. <laughs> which, was, which, by the way, wrecks every single yeah. comic in front of it. Totally worthless. Yeah. Man, 50 Cent Bin was full of Eclipse of Number Ones. I think gems. you mean hella full. Hella full with Eclipso number ones. Yeah, with the gem. Oh, Will Payton. But he did sort of, kind of, almost come back. Kind of, sort of. How much do we really want to get into that? I don't want to... See, it's funny. It's like, it's 20 years old at this point. But oh, it's I don't want to spoil it. No, it's well, I guess number one was twenty, years, 20 old. years old. We're talking about really? the James. We're talking about the James Robinson Zero Hour, dude. James Robinson Starman series. 
does touch on the Will Payton storyline in several different ways, actually. That, that was the beauty of Robinson's stuff, is he, he really honored the entire Starman legacy. Yes, Zero Hour happened in 1995, Doug. <laughs> he doesn't believe me. He's How pulling out happen? his star. He's bringing out his Starman omnibus to check this stuff. How did that So, happen? without spoiling too much, and it's, again, it's funny that I want to protect this comic. You're wrong. What? 94. Oh, well, okay. It's 21 <laughs> years old. But it's it funny, can like, drink now. I, I'm willing, Zero Hour, take a drink. <laughs> I'm willing to spoil so many other comics that just came out last week, but this one comic from 20 years ago, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. So, it's funny. Just know that Will Payton... Uh, is involved. His his story isn't over. As Robinson does, he cares for the entire Starman legacy. Yes. A whole lot more than DC cares for any legacy right now, just going to say that. Wow. Now, I remember reading a letter or a column or something back in the 90s. i got to figure out where it is. And someone else did like validate Starman. this for me, so I'm not crazy. But it was a, something by Robinson saying that his original pitch to DC was not about the Starman legacy. Do you know what it will be? No. I just said Starman. Are you even listening what? to what I'm saying? Sorry. Oh, my God. I thought his first Starman pitch no. was Will Payton. His, well, before the Starman pitch. Okay. His first pitch was not for Starman. What? It was for something else you're a little familiar with. Not Doom Patrol. Hawkman. Who? He wanted to do a story, a legacy book about Hawkman. Let's just talk about James Robinson and Hawkman. Well, hold on. So what happens there is DC says, sorry, man, you, we just finished up Zero Hour and Hawkman and all that business. Or I guess they were doing something. They're like, we need to let the stink wear off of this for a while first. I think the word they liked to use back then was radioactive. Yeah, I think they did say it was radioactive. Yep. It, it kind of was. This is sounding familiar. So he couldn't do the Hawkman book. And again, I, I would love to figure out where that story, that letter, article, whatever is, and I, I have no idea where it is. In Robinson's Starman. Yeah. With fortune teller's name. I uh, want to say Hope, and I know it uh, wasn't Hope. But at any rate, with her... Chastity. Was it Chastity? You keep talking. All right. Robinson used to do little glimpses into the future. Yes. Not the talking with David, but he would have Jack pop into the store and talk to the fortune teller lady. Yep. And there was one point where she had visions of a character with wings, or might have been characters with wings. Yep. And Robinson was, at that point, I thought, going to be bringing in Hawkman to the Starman book. He was going to. Yeah. yeah. But it wound up being... This one we're spoiling, people. Wound up being Black Condor. Well, he planned to use Hawkman, but DC changed the world around him. Is kind of what happened yeah. there. And then again, Robinson started the Jeff Johns. Yeah, so what's Hawkman your issue there. with that? I like that series. Oh, I liked it too. It's okay. just Robinson never really got his chance. That's true. And when I interviewed Robinson for the Hawkman Companion, the ideas he had and the ideas he couldn't remember he had and the snippets of stuff that were out there, Damn, that would have been a good series. So, tell people about the Hawkman Companion. What is it? Don't be a smartass. The Hawkman Companion is a book that I wrote and designed for Tomorrow's. Oh, yeah. The same people that do Back Issue. Yep. Doug wrote a book for him. Published in 2009. It's got uh, words and everything. Words. Yeah, it's got a lot of words about Hawkman. And as I learned not to read reviews and comments, uh, somebody at one point said that this book doesn't go as deep into the golden age as I would like it to. Well, yeah, buddy. It doesn't go as deep as you would like it to because you're a fossil. Sorry. And if that's one of you guys, I apologize. I'm not being mean there. That was me. Sorry. Um, but the whole point at that when I was working on the book was to talk to as many creators who were still around about Hawkman. That's where that's at. And yes, it does trend towards being a little heavier on mod bronze and modern age, but that's where we were. I think we've sort of covered the Starman as vaguely and as <laughs> barely tangentially <laughs> as we possibly can. I think we'll shut her down here. Sounds good. But definitely go hit the 50 cent bins, the quarter bins, whatever, uh, or just pay the, the money for it. Find the Roger Stern, Tom Lyle Starman books, but we 
Will, Will Payton. If you like late 80s, early 90s DC Comics when they're good, this one is great. Wait, wait, wait. I do have a Tom Lyle story that I hinted towards at the beginning. So where, where is he in the industry now, by the way? I don't think he is in the industry. From what I recall, he's, I want to say he's teaching art somewhere down in Georgia. I want to say Savannah area, but I'm not 100% certain. Could be SCAD. Could be. I met Tom Lyle back when I was living in Toledo. There was a comic shop there, JC's Comics and Cards. Okay. They would occasionally bring in comic book creators. Like, they had George Perez in around the time of the Who's Donna Troy. Yeah. And she got the Troya outfit. Okay. And he was doing sketches, and he actually sent somebody out to get white out so he could do the stars <laughs> the right way. But they would have creators come in, and they actually had Tom Lyle. And when I went to the store, I brought a couple comics, was wearing an Eric Clapton shirt, because I had just seen Clapton on tour. Okay. Turns out Tom Lyle is a huge Eric Clapton fan. Who knew? On... I want to say he said it was on the cover of... I thought it was four, but I'm not seeing... Doug is frantically flipping through comic books. Yeah, on one of the covers, when he signed it, Tom Lyle, he wrote something like, jamming to Clapton or listening to Clapton or something really? to that effect on one of the covers. Oh, that's cool. And so I had him sign that issue on the inside. Well, shortly after I went to college and sold off a bunch of my comic collection, including that oh. issue. Oh. So somewhere out in the world, <laughs> there is an issue of Starman. And on the first page, in the margin at the bottom of the page, to Doug, keep rocking, something to that effect, <laughs> Tom Lyle. Check your copies of Holmes, kids. Yep, somebody's got it. I mean, there were only probably 50,000, 60,000 of these things printed, yeah, that's so all, the know. odds of you having it are pretty high. It's I mean, probably with, with silver the, fish bait by now. With the, with the listenership of this show, it could be any, you know, it probably is somebody who has it. It's Rob Kelly. That bastard. Our thanks to Doug for being on the show. Really appreciate it, Doug. Uh, it was great talking to you. Had a blast. So, folks, that's going to wrap it up. In the meantime, if you would like to send us any correspondence, uh, Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home what our email address is? Firewaterpodcast at Comcast.net. And we'll put a couple images up on the Tumblr related to whatever we were talking about. Maybe some Tom Lyle, maybe some uh, uh, Tom Lyle, I'm sorry, Starman that is, or maybe we'll talk put some Flash season premiere images out there. Rob, what's that Tumblr? Firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Great. And if you want to follow more of that, Aquaman guy. I heard his name mentioned a couple times in the episode. You can check out AquamanShrine.net. You can also find that on Facebook and Twitter. If you'd like to see more of Firestorm, you can go out to FirestormFan.com. You can find me on all the different social media. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Google+, and Pinterest. And what am I forgetting? Anything? I think are, that's it. Are we on Periscope? Are you on there too? Uh, no, but I think you're on Tinder, aren't you? I am. <laughs> Slide left, please. <laughs> All right, folks. Until next time, fan the flame, ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. That's where you'll find your atom smasher. <laughs> because he, he absorbs atomic power. And he, well, smashes. Come here.